Okay, I'll say that, um, uh, just program note, um, there's no Sunday school next Sunday. Easter Sunday, you've got all kinds of opportunities, but we won't be in here next Sunday. Um, uh, the way the the way the church calendar goes, there's plenty uh, to be involved in this week, but but we won't be doing that. Uh, that being said, one of the reasons um, I'm going to ask you to um, uh, do what I'm going to ask you to do around your tables is we don't get to do this on Easter ever. Uh, uh, I, I mentioned um, well, I began to think about. It. In, in fact, in my note to you from Friday, I was thinking about. I usually don't get to teach on Easter, so I'm going to do the Easter message today. Hope I don't steal anybody's thunder. But, but the only the only uh, year that I can remember doing an Easter talk on Easter was in 21 during COVID week, when, in COVID year when we couldn't be together, and I taught on Easter from my kitchen. Uh, I don't know if you. I think that wouldn't it have been probably 21. I think. And, uh, you know, that, that's two years ago. And in my head, I still can't remember the chronology of it all, when it started and when it kind of was half over. And then anyway, so, uh, so I'm going to enjoy that. So here's, here's your table talk idea today. Uh, what I want you to do is what are some of your favorite memories of Easter Sunday? Or you could even use Palm Sunday growing up. What are some of your favorite kind of Easter traditions growing up? Or maybe it's one that you've established in your family now. Okay? Take a couple minutes and talk about that. I want to hear back about some of that in a minute. Okay? Here we go. Well, I'm curious. Did... Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure that growing up, Cliff Payton's mama bought him a new pair of patent leather little white shoes or something. You know, is that right, Cliff? To to go to to go to church over there on uh, uh, you went to church over there on Western, I think, didn't you? Probably, yeah. Um, uh, that was a joke, but but he did go to church over there in Western. Uh, did did you get new shoes for Easter? Was that a thing? Did your mama buy you girls new shoes for Easter? New white shoes. Okay, because you wore the black ones all winter. All right. Joanne? My mother made all our clothes. And we all just had a dotted Swiss dress. And all three of us dressed alike. A brand new dotted Swiss dress made by your mother on Easter. All three girls. That, that's kind of a... Joanne, you got any pictures of that? I bet that's a great picture to look back to. Yeah. Yeah. My mom would occasionally get me, you know, something new to wear on, on Easter. I don't remember a whole lot of that, but I remember some of it. Rhonda, I'm curious what you're going to answer this. Uh, our church was a little church in Alabama, so we would go to church at dawn, watch the sun. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was brief because all of the mammals were in the kitchen cooking a soda breakfast up their bed. Oh, so you did uh, a sunrise service, came to the church, had biscuits and gravy, then you went and changed and came back to church. That's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Huh? How cool can we get there? I believe Alabama's not that close, but we may can get there by next Sunday. Um, uh, you know, with my deal, um, 
Uh, most of my growing up years, before we helped start the church in Moore, we were, Dad's business was here, but we were driving to Paul's Valley on the weekends to go to church. So if there was a, a sunrise service, we had to get up really, really, way before sunrise to get there. John? Our big, my biggest memory was we hid the Easter eggs in the pasture. In the pasture. All the city kids come out, they get into those bushes, and they get stuff in their arms, so all the country kids found the eggs because they were worried about it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Bill? Well, two things. One is your name tags finally printed. They're all back here. Get them after class. Okay. All right. But if we're doing Easter memories. Yeah. Love to hear yours. How many of you got, like, a, a solid chocolate Bunny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I was gnawing on a big bunny for days, maybe a couple weeks after Easter, but my mom would eventually just get all those Easter baskets and put them back on the shelves in storage in our basement. We're in Michigan, of course. So some uh, middle of summer, I think it was, or end of summer that year, I was downstairs and I was looking around at things and I found those Easter baskets and I, I didn't know that mom had stored them there, but then it occurred to me, that bunny's still in there, I think. <laughs> and I crawled up there and sure enough, the bunny was half eaten in there. It was like, you know how chocolate turns white when it gets warm? It was still good though. It was <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Basement in August. Wow. I, you'll appreciate this, Bill. I was reminded of this actually last week um, when Ron and I were doing youth ministry in eastern Kentucky. One of the things we did this time of year as a fundraiser, we'd make these quarter-pound Easter eggs uh, and sell them. And it funded lots of stuff for, for the youth ministry. But we'd make chocolate and peanut butter and, and uh, coconut and cherry nut, and then you'd, you'd cover them with chocolate. Uh, by Easter, I was so sick of that stuff. <laughs> I could smell it for a month in my head. You know, anyway. But uh, that was an every night thing for a couple of weeks right before Easter. But, uh, well, it was kind of fun to think about that, I think. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about it. We're going to go to Luke 24. That's where we're going to kind of park today. We've got some, several other scriptures to talk about. But um, what we're going to look at today follows the narrative of Jesus' crucifixion and death. We won't talk a whole lot about that. That really comes in Luke 23. Now, I'll hearken back to it some as uh, we go through this. Uh, as you know, and as we'll, I'm sure, encounter some this week, the discussion that crucifixion um, was kind of promoted by the Roman Empire uh, to demonstrate the power of the state over its subjects. Um, a crucified person slowly killed its victims. Uh, they bled. They became dehydrated. They suffered shock, maybe even asphyxiation. Um, that Jesus died only after several hours on the cross was kind of a surprise. Um, uh, making a public exhibition of a prolonged and humiliating death was the aim. That didn't work for Jesus because he died within a few hours. But um, anyway, the, the bodies of those crucified frequently remained on the cross for several days, kind of as a spectacle, as a passive threat, as kind of a, uh, um, uh, a warning to not, not buck the state. So 
But as you and I know, uh, Jesus um, was taken down from the cross uh, before um, uh, Sabbath ensued, which would have been 6 o'clock on Friday night. Uh, by um, his body was asked for by a fairly wealthy man, at least we believe, by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. His body was wrapped in burial clothes, um, and he was entombed. You can read about that a little bit. Uh, look at 2353. So back just, if your Bible's like mine, just across the page, it says, um, now, uh, and he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and let him, laid him in a tomb cut in the rock where no one had ever lain. So that's kind of that idea. And then if you look down to verse, um, um, verse 55, now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb, how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. So that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story here. Um, um, so I want you to note some things here. All four of the Gospels tell the story. They tell different details. Uh, one writer uh, includes um, uh, a violent earthquake, Matthew. Um, uh, Mark includes a young man dressed in a white robe. Um, um, and the women's silence. Uh, the women's interaction with Jesus is in Matthew 28. Ma Mary Magdalene's experience is in John. Um, so at, what, what I want us to catch here is that these differences don't invalidate the accounts. They just highlight the different perspective or emphases that each of the gospel writers wanted uh, to uh, uh, present in this. So let's read Luke's account, or at least part of it. Steve Blair, I'm going to have you go to Luke 24 and read the first seven verses. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Okay, we've got to have some other parallel scripture to kind of help us get through this. So let me assign some of those if we can. Will somebody read Matthew 27, 62 through 66? Karen, that'd be great. Uh, I need somebody else to go to, to uh, in fact, Karen, while you're there, I'm just going to have you jump over to Matthew 28, 2, okay, after that. Uh, John, can I get you to run over to Joshua 5 and read verse 13, 14, and 15? Um, and then uh, Matthew 17, 22, and 23, Allie, that'd be great. Um, okay, and then we've got like five of these we need to go through. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for some help. Mark, I'm looking at you. Would you go to John 2, verse 18 and 19? Um, and then also John 10, verse 17 and 18. Okay, Acts 2, 24. He'll get that one. Acts 2, 24. Thank you, Joanne. Romans 8, 11. 
Rhonda, you get that one? 1 Peter 3.18. Ellie, can I get you over there? 1 Peter 3.18. Uh, there's going to be an important point that I want to catch right in there. So, all right, we've got a lot to look at. Now, notice as um, the women came to the tomb, according to Luke's account, first thing on Sunday morning, who was not there? Not, well, so yeah, most important part of that. You jumped ahead a little bit, but yeah, you're right. Uh, the 12, or, or literally the 11, were not there. Uh, Judas had defected, uh, but the 11, the other 11 were not there. Um, uh, if you look back to, we, we kind of parenthetically remembered, uh, mentioned it a while ago, but 2355. Now the women who had come with, with him out of Galilee followed, saw the tomb, and had his body was laid. They had kind of done their reconnaissance on Friday afternoon, went back to prepare spices, rested on the Sabbath. Uh, literally, it's, they set their alarm for pre-dawn on Sunday. And as soon as the dawn happened, they were there. They, they had enough light to get there. And uh, I find that interesting. Um, why so early? Because they were concerned about decomposition. And so they went there at the first uh, opportunity. His burial had been hasty. Um, Sabbath would begin at 6 p.m. on Friday. Uh, look at look at 2344. I think I, I can stand on this. 2344. It was now about the sixth hour. That's noon. That's on Friday. Darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Uh, we think he died about three o'clock, somewhere in there. And so by six o'clock, they had to have all that they could do done. Uh, Joseph claimed the body, getting it, getting it to the garden tomb. Um, um, doing some initial prep, but really what needed to be done couldn't be done because Sabbath ensued at 6 p.m. And uh, so Sunday morning, first thing, they're up and out and headed there. It's kind of important here. Now the tomb, uh, by the way, it was the women only who were there. That's what goes in that blank. Now, the tomb was thought to be secure. Um, a stone rolled at the entrance and more. Um, who is it that went after? Uh, Karen, is that you, Matthew 27? I'm going to have you read 62 down through 66. Matthew 27 is a long chapter. <clears throat> Next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Did you get through 66? Yes. Okay. Okay. Hang on there because I have you come back in a minute and read 28 too. But, um, uh, so let's think about the security measures that were put in place. Okay. Uh, by the way, I was thinking this morning on the way in, you know that my brain doesn't work exactly right. 
as expensive as eggs are this year, if you're going to hide Easter eggs, you might ought to hire a guard. Okay. So th- there was, um, um, uh, interesting here, a stone was rolled toward the entrance. Um, uh, a seal was placed on the stone. So they'd know if anyone tried to get in there. A guard was set. A stone, a seal, a guard, and a plan. Uh, Literally, uh, we know that, boy, they're going to try to steal his body, so we've got a plan to make sure that doesn't happen. Now, as you look at verse 3, what I want you to think about here is that as they arrived and the stone was rolled away um, and they, they found that the body was missing, what, they, what in their mind they were thinking is this could be yet another humiliation. So what you've got to catch, this was not a happy moment. I've got to think about that, think through that a little bit. When they arrived... With the stone rolled away, they were not relieved at that. When they looked and saw the, the body was gone, their reaction would have been, oh, no. Oh, no. What, what has happened here? Who took him? Steve, I Joanne? Wonder, what, what made the women think that they could actually get in? Did they not know that it had been sealed off like I, that? You know, they, they probably did, Joanne, but, but what... And, of course, Matthew's gospel is written much later, so he finds out detail and reports on that. What I wonder is if on the way there in their head, it's like, okay, I'm hoping these soldiers that are guarding have got some oomph to them because we're going to have to have those guys roll the stone away. In my head, that's how that goes. They're talking about, how are we going to get this thing done? Well, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of soldiers over there, guards over there. We'll get those guys to because it could be removed, and, and it, the plan was for it to be moved. But anyway, I, in my mind at least, that's how it goes. So, another humiliation. Robbery was frequent of, of tomb areas, which I find sickening, you know, but it was. Uh, so, in verse 4, um, that there's two words that I've that I saw as I was studying this. So look at verse four. If you're reading from the New International, I'm going to guess it uses the word there, wondering, wondering. Is that what's in there in the NIV? Yeah. In the New American Standard, it says they were while they were perplexed about all this. Anybody else got a different word there? Puzzled. Sorry. Puzzled. Puzzled. That's that's a great word. But they're puzzled about. It. You know, they're scratching their head. What happened? All right. They're not happy about it. Suddenly, and the word suddenly is used in my Bible. Is it used in yours? In verse 4? Behold. Huh? Is there a behold? Uh, I love when they use the word behold. I don't, I've never used the word behold in a sentence. Maybe I need to start doing that. Uh, but So uh, in mine, um, while they're perplexed about this, puzzled about this, behold, it's there, you're right. Two men suddenly stood near them. Either they hadn't noticed them or they suddenly showed up. And I'm going to suggest to you that this was two pretty good-sized fellas. Okay? Uh, Karen, read Matthew 28 too. 
There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, that's interesting, because Luke doesn't give us that detail, but it's the idea of this angel was... You know, incredible, sitting on, on the this, this stone, which I think is kind of interesting. But here, we've got the picture of two men. But now, okay, you remember Joshua was a warrior. He encounters one of these guys. One of them. And I want you to notice Joshua's response. Um, uh, John, was that the one I gave you to go to Joshua 5 and read 13, 14, and 15? Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You bet Joshua fell on his face. A guy who was a man's man, who was a, uh, a warrior, fell on his face before this impressive figure. Now, this one's carrying a sword. But there are two of these guys that Matthew calls heavenly. So I want you to put that in your blank. They encountered two heavenly visitors. They look like Joshua's guy, and there's two of them. All right, now, so they begin to talk uh, while the women are still pretty perplexed here. Um, and um, these messengers simply report what Jesus had prophesied. Now, I put several kind of references in here. Um, all four Gospels record Jesus' prophecy um, in one place or another earlier on. Um, and um, so if you look at um, verse 5, the women were terrified, bowed their faces to the ground. The men said this. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? There's an eternal question here. They've been told, all of them. Every one of the Gospels records that Jesus on multiple occasions said, oh, you guys need to know. I'm going to be put to death. On the third day, I'll rise again. And none of them caught it. I want to continue to kind of Hammer away at that a little bit because none of them caught it. What they expected to find when they got there was a stone that they would have to have help getting rolled away. And what they expected to find when the stone was rolled away was Jesus' partially um, prepared body that they would finish the preparation for. That's not what they found. And including, they found these two heavenly visitors who just said this eternal thing. Why do you seek the living? Uh, uh, why do you seek the dead among the living? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of wonderful. Now, um, all right, verse 5. Uh, we talked about verse 5. Now, so here's what I've what I got to catch here. Boy, uh, Brother Paul, you may be all over me after this is all over. Um, 
But I, I noticed this this year. I've not noticed this before. This is really important. Um, um, the language in verse 6 is passive, although even in my Bible, it's not recorded passively. He is not here, but he has risen. My understanding of the original language is he's not here, but he was raised, I think is the original language. Now, um, uh, there's more that, um, that there's more here than that. And I want, I, want, I want you to catch this. I've never caught this before. Who resurrected Jesus? Who did the work? What's up? Let's talk about it just a little bit. Who's got John 2 verse 18 and 19? So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. In three days, I will raise it up, my body. Okay, Mark, if you jump over to 10, uh, uh, John 10, read verse 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In both of those passages, Jesus says, I am going to raise myself. All right, now, hang in there. All right, what does it say in Acts 2.24? It says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God raised him from God the Father, according to what Joanne read from Peter's talk in Acts 2. Keep going. Hang in there. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit raised him from the dead. Capital S. Okay, hang on. All right, hang on. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us, God, us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made live again. Okay, passive there, passive here. Guys, was it the Father who raised him from the dead? Was it the Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead? Or did Jesus raise himself from the dead? The answer to that question is yes. This is a family affair. They're all three involved in this deal. That ought to impress you. That ought to... Wow, this is the most important thing that ever happened in human history. All three of the members of the Godhead were involved in it. Now, so... The angel in verse 7 gives us what I'm going to call a blend of his teaching. Kind of a blend of his teaching. Um, they're not going to, you won't find verbatim this thing that they say. Uh, let, let's look at verse uh, 7. They um, um, say that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, rise again. So, that's, that's kind of a synopsis of what Jesus has taught you, what the angels are saying here. Um, it wasn't a direct quote. In Galilee, he had taught them in private all of these things. 
His omniscience and his power were on display here and his authority. There is no surprise about what happened on Easter Sunday morning except to human people. All part of the plan. He told them it's going to happen. In fact, he told them kind of how it's going to happen. And they were still surprised. Was Jesus surprised at 6 a.m. on Easter morning? Uh-uh. Was the Holy Spirit surprised? No, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Kind of get the eye. Uh, now, let's, let's go to the next section. Cindy, do you mind to read verse 8 down through 12? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Okay, I want you to catch this with me. Jesus spent a lot of time in his time on the earth with marginalized people. With the sick. You know, the sick. With, with um, the demon-possessed. With children. And with women. With Samaritans, so those from other groups that Jewish people wouldn't have anything. You're absolutely right. So catch this here. Um, the women go back where the men are gathered and say, uh, guys, and look at verse 11. We'll get to it in a minute, but look at verse 11. They basically, the men almost completely dismissed their story because it came from women. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this in just a minute. <coughs> It's just, it's just true. It literally is true. So uh, that's why I believe it's true, because they didn't sugarcoat this thing. They told it just like it happened. Now, look at verse 10. Three of the first evangelists, that's the word I'm going to use there, were women. Um, and I'm going to tell you kind of who they were. I won't read all these verses, but I include them there for you. It, actually, let me, let me go back to... Um, Look at Luke 8, and I'm going to read verse 2 and 3, because it's going to give us a detail that we need to make sure. Uh, Luke 8, verse 2 and 3. Um, Some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, that's where she was from, Magdala, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Okay, so uh, this Joanna is identified there, as is Mary... Magdalene, we kind of know about her. So it was Mary Magdalene. It was Joanna who um, was, it's interesting, uh, she was the wife of one of Herod Antipas's staff. Uh, I just find that really intriguing. And somebody else. Her. Her who? Joseph's. Uh, it, it, called, it says James's mom. Yeah. James's mom. In other places, I put the references here. It talks about other people that were included in that family. Mary. The Mary. <laughs> that ought to make you go. Mm, you know, kind of does me. Now. Um. So in verse 11, 
They respond to the message, the the disciples respond to the message, but they're saying this is nonsense. It's kind of the same thing in Mark 16. I put that reference there. Uh, The the early Christian, the, the early Jewish historian Josephus tells us that a woman's testimony would be automatically disallowed. Evidently, John MacArthur was on the scene back then, too. Ooh, that was bad. But the first evangelists were not Peter, James, and John. It wasn't even James the Just. He wasn't a believer yet. Peter's half-brother. It wasn't Thomas. Thomas is still kind of, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? The first evangelists were people like Mary, who came from Magdala, who had been healed and saved, and Joanna, and Jesus' mother, and others that were with them. I, I just find that wonderful. If you're a woman sitting here, you ought to say, go get them, girls. You really should. And by the way, when I do some apologetic work with some of these kids who've never encountered this, one of the things I'll say is, guys, this isn't made up. If it were made up, it would be told differently. Now, okay, you're probably not going to like this, but look at verse 12. Did Peter have immediate faith? Uh, Peter got up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking it in, looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Uh, in John's telling of this, John outruns him, which of course John's going to report that, right? John outruns him. Uh, John won't go in. And I don't. It's kind of. I don't know if there's a fear thing or if I don't want to be defiled by the dead. Peter goes in. Sees it kind of as Luke has described it here. He sees all that and says something like, what happened here? In John's account, John says he believed. But not Peter. Read it when you get a minute. Peter just wondered. Okay, so the most important question that you've got to encounter this week, do you believe? That most important question you'll ever deal with. Do you believe in this, in this story? Do you believe? But that's not all, okay? It's important not only that you believe, but that you also share. There's a word that came up in some of my reading this week. Uh, This is from uh, Christianity Today. This is from one of the editors. Talks about she met a guy from from uh, who had written an article that they were getting ready to print, and he kept using the word gospel as a verb. And she literally wrote in. uh, She's reading a manuscript, and she writes in notes in in the margin says, "Gospel is not a verb. What's gospel? Good news, right? Not a verb." But later. This man used gospel as a verb repeatedly in their conversations. He used it so much that she started to do it too. Technically incorrect, due to differences in translation from a non-native English speaker, it is also theologically profound. What God gives us, we gospel. 
very model we see over and over again in Scripture, she says. When Jesus was nearby, John the Baptist pointed others toward him, look, the Lamb of God. He gospeled. When Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman, confirmed he was the Messiah, she went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She gospeled that. As Jesus suffered on the cross, a criminal crucified near him spoke out in defense of Jesus, turning to him in faith. When Jesus died, the centurion standing guard with other soldiers exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. He gospeled. When Mary Magdalene encountered the risen Christ that we studied today, that first Easter morning, she went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She gospeled. Scripture depicts people naturally and instinctively sharing the good news. We see the gospel in action as action. And the last part of this article, as we celebrate Easter, may we be people who not only receive the good news, believe it, but give it generously, naturally, effectively. May we be a gospeling people. I'm going to do it this week. I'm going to gospel everybody I can. You know what? Because I believe. I got no other option. And I'm going to gospel it over and over and over again this week. I invite you to join me. Happy Easter. He's alive. I'll see you next week. I'll, well, I'll see you in two weeks. Yeah. God bless you.